Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Diana Dini. And this is Fred Schenkler. Hey, Diana. Hi, Fred. Hey. I was uh, talking with people about design reviews and technical design reviews, and a question came up about independent reviewers. How important are they to a design review? And just what is their what is their general function and uh, importance for the design review process? Just about independent reviewers and their purpose. So hmm. I thought that might be a good topic I wanted to ask you about and get your opinion about. Well, there's so many variables, whether to call it, call it a good idea or not. Um, I know in some <laughs> industries, it's kind of, re- it's expected or required. I think the nuclear industry for design type stuff is they have to have another professional engineer review, basically redo the design. I mean, it's a pretty detailed technical review by a, yeah. a third party that's not paid by the design team, basically. Um, I think some medical companies I've worked, medical device companies I've worked with, it was, I'm not sure if it's from the pharmaceutical side or if it was something they thought would be useful, they would, and I got it brought in once as an independent reviewer to look over their, their design of some system. Um, Yeah, there, there are medical device requirements for independent reviewers, but it could be, you know, someone else that works at the company, but that just isn't involved with that project. Okay. Just independent from it. Well, I related to when I was at Hewlett Packard, our design reviews oftentimes would use, you know, pull in senior folks from different programs or projects or even different uh, families of products just to get a, an outside eye, you know, view of what's going on and ask those naive questions that rest of us just ignored. Um, and that was always tended to be helpful if, and this is a big if, if and only if that reviewer actually did a review, actually looked at the content and didn't show up for the donuts and ask a couple of questions, that, but they actually dug uh, into mm-hmm. the details. Yeah. Yeah. The independent reviewer, there's a responsibility there, right? Mm-hmm. That they need to be able to look at the well, look at the design and, and to actually come up with uh, some challenges and questions. Yeah. And it's, you know, that I, I find a good reviewer, whether independent or not, will, will understand the design intent well enough to a- ask questions about trade-offs and about assumptions and, and clarifying questions is one way to get at those. It's like, well, how did you come up with this trade-off? You know, cause the, in this circumstance, you could do this kind of design or this kind of design, but were you looking more at the weight factor or you were looking more at assembly factor? I mean, what was driving this decision? But that's a pretty detailed question with a deep understanding of what's going on in the design, as opposed to, I've seen it way too many times. Well, back in 68, we tried something like that and that didn't work. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was like, okay, so what? What's what's the question here? <laughs> Other than saying, "Ah, oh, that won't work." Like, yeah, and against, I guess it's uh, also against the purpose of the design review 
too, not just of the design itself, but what I guess what the scope of it is and um, that that would affect what the independent reviewer might want to ask too. Well, that you got to do the service to who you're inviting to a design review, whether they're independent or not, in my opinion, is you know, how much here's here's the content, here's the drawings, here's the schematics, here's the you know list of, of topics that you know we want input on. That takes some work, and you can't send it to them the morning of the meeting. You need to give them time to actually absorb that content and material and think about it. Um, but that big, I find the trouble with that is that everybody else is busy on their own projects, and now you dumped a whole raft of design content on my desk, and I've got forty minutes, you know, total over the next two weeks to look at it. That's just not sufficient. So the company's culture has to be such that, no, if you were invited to review, you spend the time needed to really be valuable on it. And I think that often gets lost because it's, I've rarely seen the outcome of a review tracked to how valuable it was. Yeah. With the, um, what came out of it, what questions were discussed and asked Mm -hmm. with the documentation afterwards, you mean, or. Right. And it's, it's, you know, here's the, uh, the action items that come out of a design review. And then it might be, I need to investigate this flange or I need to compare what's the heat signature for this or, you know, whatever the specifics are that the design team is, is challenged to, to go solve or understand or explore. But what difference did that make? That's the part I see many teams don't quantify is like, you know, these three reviewers came in here and, and they, ask, you know, 15 questions and we had 10 action items out of it and we made nine design changes that probably saved us X amount of dollars or reduced the risk of of delaying the program or, you know, change the failure rate or improve the yield or, um, that part's hard to do, but I, and I, that's probably why you rarely see it. Um, but if you end up with a feedback system saying, you know, if you ask good questions and, and, and expose some weaknesses in this program, it might save us X amount of dollars in the future. And that's worth being a reviewer, especially if they get 10% of the savings, but that's not going to happen. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the reviewer gets 10%? Yeah. They get a they cut say. of whatever was saved. <laughs> yeah. They make it, we, we, we give bonuses for shipping on time or, you know, bringing the product up the, up the ramp on time, you know, stuff like that. Why not give them, Bonuses for actually saving money by design changes that avoid problems. That could probably be done at the end of a project with uh, like a lessons learned. Mm -hmm. But with the regulated industries, they have to have an independent reviewer. So, yeah, there's probably little desire to have to prove the worth of having an independent reviewer (laughs) because they have to have one anyway. But it would speak to the quality of uh, the the job that the independent reviewer would do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, that's just top of mind is that some people are motivated by getting a reward for what they do. Some people do it intrinsically knowing that it's just a good, you know, there's a chance to really help and make a difference on a design. If you do the homework, if you do the research and understanding of the design and, and ask good questions, um, that's why I'm hesitant on the, you know, the worth of an independent review, because I I know 
intuitively and from experience that sometimes when somebody walks by and says, Hey, what you're working on? Why are you doing that? <laughs> you know, what's, what's this about here? And they either are going to say, Oh, that's clever. Well, well done. Or they're going to say, you know, I think IBM's already got a patent on that. You might want to look at this literature, <laughs> you know, or something like that. <laughs> I've run into that a couple of times and then you're like, Oh, okay. I thought I was being clever. Um <laughs> So, so it's a matter of just those, um, just exposure to other projects with other engineers. It may be not such a formal review process, you mean, like those informal, hey, what you doing kind of things? Well, for me, a design review is, it starts with that, you know, hey, what are you working on? You know, if somebody's got a big mock-up of something and the lights are flashing, they're like, what are you trying to solve? And sometimes it's just being curious and sometimes it's offering to help or because he's, you know, something about what they're working on. Other times is to encourage them. I look at that as a design review. What do you design? What problem are you trying to solve and how are you coming about it? You know, and that to me is a very informal design review and cultures that do that a lot um, really break down that it's one individual person's design and it's my baby and we have to get it through, you know, preschools, which is the, the formal design review. So they graduate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I've never heard of it described that way, but I like that. Well, you've seen that where the designer comes in and they all, you start asking questions about it and they get all defensive and, and, and like, well, you don't understand and blah, blah, blah. And or, this is my, you know, and I know best and, it's like an angry parent think you know, when they somebody called their baby ugly. It's a, you know, <laughs> but it, it can, if the culture is that we're working together to actually help and reinforce each other, as opposed to the, the reviews process is a, a gauntlet you got to run through to survive. Mm -hmm. it, it's a completely different phenomena, whether it's required or not. And I think it starts with just the way we work with each other. And so it's, it's a design review to me is not a one end off event or scheduled on Tuesdays, every third month, you know, kind of thing. It's that's formal. We record it. It's, it's more nuanced and all this stuff, but I don't think that's where the real review benefits come from. Yeah. Having the, uh, the team and just a fresh set of eyes looking at whatever design you're working on mm -hmm. is a benefit to the end product. And that, that's been proven time and again. And even with cross-functional teams and people with different backgrounds, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. together they can innovate some really uh, clever solutions to some of the world's problems. Yep. Yeah, very much so. And but can you imagine being an independent design reviewer called into Apple to look at the first iPhone? You know, and you go, well, Samsung already does this. What do you need this for? You know, you're not as good as theirs. <laughs> you know, where's the keyboard? You need a keyboard on this. You know, you need the, the what was the RIM, Research and Motion uh, Blackberries? Oh, it just couldn't possibly work. It's not like the popular one that we use today. And, and an independent design reviewer comes in with their own biases and backgrounds and, and how they would have solved the problem. And in which case, I don't think they're actually being helpful or useful. So I, I think some of the, back to your original question, what I think about it, it's, it's 
um, whether required or not, is there's a lot rise on the prep and the amount of time they're allowed and expectations and support they get for coming up to speed on the nuances of a particular design. But they also have to have the right attitude and biases to be, I'm looking for deeper understanding so I can understand where there may be um, things you didn't think of. You know, what about these assumptions? What about that challenge? What about how well is that supply chain going to be stable for you, this process? You know, um, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I, I find that it's a two-way street. You can have really good prep and culture, and then you invite an independent in there, and you all get demoralized. <laughs> or, or you can be seriously encouraged and, and identify a couple of things you overlook because of that independent look. Um, so back to your original thought there is it, there's so many ways this can go wrong. That's <laughs> the problem. Yeah. And I've, um, I've seen the gauntlet kind of thing where an independent reviewer, uh, is invited to come in and it's, it seems they're there for the right reading meet right reasons. If they are, uh, they've, they've prepped, you know, they, they, uh, want to contribute, but the rest of the team just wants to kind of get this design review done. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes sort of the sole independent reviewer and the rest of the team, <laughs> like not wanting to hear what they have to say, because, uh, I don't know for whatever reason, whether it's they're hooked on the design or, you know, they want to move on to the next phase gate. So being an independent reviewer, you can be in a uh, hairy situation too, if you walk into something like that. And that's, that doesn't promote the kind of thinking like, like you're talking about. Yeah. Now I remember when it was a medical device and, and I was invited because I've been working with the team for a bit. So I wasn't independent enough in their view to do the review. And I didn't have the skills with the technology they were dealing with. So they brought somebody in and it reminded me of when I was in the army every now and then the drill sergeants or somebody would, we would do it. They would do an inspection, right? And you walk down the line and they look at your rifle and look for lint on your shoes or, you know, whatever. And so in this design review, uh, one of the engineers left out that they had checked for normality on a data set before there was some analysis they did. They just didn't put it in the document. And so the, the reviewer is looking at all this stuff and it's kind of like an audit of the process. It went through all these details and came up with, well, how do you know that that's normally distributed? Oh, that's a good point. I'll go check that real, real quick. You know, or I can do that. I'll check that. And so they had already done it. So they knew the answer, but they left a, a flaw visible so that the reviewer felt like they found something and contributed and then would go away. Was, oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that I was very clever. I have not heard of that one before. <laughs> and if, you, if you've gone through, and some reviewers come in, they just look for <laughs> something that you didn't do. You know, oh, how did you know that? We challenged that or something. You didn't check this. You know, what's the gauge R&R on that thing? And just leave one or two of those out. And so they can find it and they feel like they've solved it. I saw that also in an audit. You know, it's, oh, yeah. Oh, here it is. It's in the back of the filing cabinet on the right side. We'll send it to you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, but if a, if a, 
and you see it with audits and reviews is that if they <laughs> yeah. don't find anything, they don't feel like they're being useful. And so leave them something to find and they feel useful and they go away. Now, I don't advocate this technique because no. what you really want is somebody that really honestly brings in some meaningful insights and questions that you and your team were blind to. I think that's the primary purpose of this. Ask the questions that you just didn't think to ask and challenge elements of the design or the process that you didn't go there and didn't challenge it. And I think that adds tremendous value, but it's so precarious of the games that both sides can play. Yeah, that's a, that's a shame. I had never heard I've never heard of that technique before. Now I'm going to have to watch out for it. Well, it's, you know, if it's, oh yeah, that's a good point. And then two days later they have the detailed analysis that took them a month, you know, that you just been had. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I, know, I remember the drill sergeants, it, it, your shoes could never be shined good enough and your brass could never be shined well enough. Um, so that, my roommate in one of these scenarios, he would walk out to the formation where we're going to be inspected and he would scuff his shoes in some gravel or dirt or whatever. So one shoe would be dusty and the drill sergeant would come over to him. Your shoes are not shining properly soldier. Yes, sir. Yes. Drill sergeant. And he'd move on He'd leave him alone. He wouldn't look for anything else. Whereas people that spent all night polishing their shoes perfectly and doing all the brass perfectly, the guy would stand there for 20 minutes and grill him on knowledge and just, just grill them until they found something. Oh, you need to work on that soldier. Meanwhile, the guy with the, the bad shoes, <laughs> deliberately done, uh, was like, I didn't have to learn all that stuff. <laughs> so an old soldier trick, but don't do it in practice. It's, it's, um, if, if the intent of spending that time to prepare for a review is to actually learn something, you need to facilitate the process of actually being available to learn something and enable the reviewer to actually fill their role. Uh, and that's where I think it becomes tenuous. It's, um, it, it could be adversarial, which I don't think is useful. It could be kumbaya. Oh, you guys are great. I've looked at your products before. I love it. You know, no problems here. All looks good. I'll sign off on it. Um, because there's no consequence, you know, it's not a nuclear plant that you're checking the design of and got six months to review the details of the design and do your own experiments and simulations. Um, but it can vary quite a bit. So I think the answer is it depends. Yeah. And that just facilitating that meeting with the independent reviewer mm -hmm. is really important. Like you mentioned, uh, allowing them to be prepared and giving them the materials and then um, setting the expectations with the team and with the independent reviewer to just have an open mind and to openly talk about the design to make it better. And maybe the timing of it, those kind of meetings don't happen per your product development process at those stage gates. Maybe you have one at a different time mm -hmm. so that there's, you know, not so much, uh, so much pressure. If you if you feel like you're giving you and your team are giving yourselves pressure over it, then you know have it. That's not at at a stage gate. Have have other design reviews at other times. Mm -hmm. um, if that helps you facilitate that. Yeah. No. All good points. Uh, to to wrap this up with a, kind of a positive 
thought anyways. One yes, of the, please. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the best openings to a design review I saw, and it was for making a, a, a circuit board, an electronic circuit board. And it, the electrical engineer came in and says, I need your help. I've got these three problems and there's a bunch of different trade-offs going here. Let me explain the way I see it. And then you guys can ask some questions and we'll figure out how to balance these trade-offs in order to solve this. And so the review only lasts about half an hour, but it was, it, we all had the design prior. We had the schematics prior. We had uh, a list of those questions plus a handful of other ones that, and, and it was a bit of design for manufacturing, a bit of design for reliability, a handful of other topics in there. But we spent the bulk of our time brainstorming with the designer how to balance the trade-offs and what were the likely outcomes of the various things to help them make a decision of which way to go. And so that designer came in very open. I don't know everything. I need some help here. And it set the stage for that review for everybody to go, oh, we can help. We're all in the same boat. Let's row together. And it was completely different than the adversarial one that I'd saw like a month prior. And it was very, very refreshing. But it takes a pretty, I don't know, brave, um, confident, um, astute person to say, you know, I'm struggling here, here, and here to make the right decision. I need your input. And I thought that was a good use of that review time. Yeah, that does sound like a good one. All right. But there are good ones out there. There are people that do this stuff really well, and there's some that don't. And uh, hopefully you run into more of the good ones as you move forward. So I guess, to yeah, to wrap up, independent reviews, um, independent reviewers during design reviews can be important. But if it's done right, if it's facilitated right, if they have the preparation, if they have the right mindset, and if the team has the right mindset, it could be a really beneficial thing to do to have a fresh set of eyes look at something or to gather a team to help solve a problem. Yeah, well said. And if you've got follow-up questions or questions like this that you'd like us to chat about or, or just get some response to, um, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. Uh, a couple different ways to get in touch with us there. Um, Diana and I and the rest of the hosts of the show are uh, available through LinkedIn or our about pages on, on the site. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch. So now, if you're an independent design reviewer by trade, let us know <laughs> the range of yeah. stories you got. We'd be very fascinated. What would best help you do your job? Uh, that would be a good follow-up for this one. So, well, anyway, good good th- I, uh, topic there, Diane. I appreciate you bringing that up. I hadn't thought about this in a long, long time. Well, I'm glad we talked about it. That uh, is good to get your insight on it. All right. Great. Well, have a great rest of your day, Diana, and we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Brad. You too. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.